right. Good morning, South Life Church. How are y'all? All right, so good to see you as well. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. I'm the small groups pastor, men's ministry pastor here at Side Life Church. If you're watching online, welcome. So glad to see you all here as well. Uh, just before we get started, let's just take, uh, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend. And so it's, I just want to take about three seconds as we begin this message to just think about the sacrifices that our servicemen and women have given for us. Uh, their lives. And so we're going to take about three seconds just to take a moment of silence and reverence to them. All right. Well, speaking of military, I'm um, going to kind of tell you a little bit, a story about uh, God, what God has done with my wife and myself over the last year now, a little bit over a year. Uh, last year on March 5th, uh, God gave me uh, a definitive call to go plant a church. And I was like, oh my goodness, God, what are you saying to me? Because if you know, I had never uh, thought about it. It wasn't something that was planned. Like I was saying, hey, I can function in this role or this role, and then one day maybe do this, that, or another. But it was a very definitive call that God had given me. And so now I hear God say, Derek, go plant a church. And I'm like, okay, well, I heard the call. Now what do I do with it? And so, I mean, I didn't know any next steps. I just knew that God had called me to do something. So I did kind of what I thought were my only natural next steps is to begin to share that information with people that I cared for and that I knew cared for me. Uh, and so I shared it with Pastor Bob and, and Pastor Bob said, hey, man, we need to talk to the staff, let them know, talk to the elders, the deacons. Of course, I talked to my wife about it. And so I did those things. And then it was like, Okay, well, what's next? And so God, I would do what God was putting on my heart each step is pray about uh, how he wants me to do this and all of these things. But there was actually no motion happening, but just a lot of standing kind of idle around. And I was sharing this with one of my friends and he was like, hey, well, dude, you know what it sounds like to me? You are marking time. And I said, okay, what's marking time? And he said, well, I'm a military guy. And so marking time is, is marching, basically marching in place. It is a preemptory call before you move. So you march in place. When they say mark time, they begin to march in place in the military alignment. They don't advance. They don't move. But they're prepared to go when the command to advance is given. And some will just say march, and they begin to march, or some will say forward, march, indicating the next step from going standing still would be then to move forward. Now, I say all that to say this. I want you to keep that in your mind as we move through what we're going to talk about today. So we're still working from the book of Acts, and we're going to continue that uh, basically throughout the year. But this day, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. But just to remind you, uh, this is the beginning of the early church. This book of Acts, it will be a time of talking about the beginning of the early church, which was established essentially at Pentecost. And during that time, 3,000 souls were added to this small band of disciples that had been following Jesus. Now, at the day of Pentecost, all of these uh, disciples were added. And so many of these were Jewish people from different countries. They were Jews of the diaspora. 
The diaspora is simply a disbursement of the Jews. During the time, they, were, they went all over to the known land. They had moved all the different places. But yet on Pentecost, they would come back collectively from all of these different areas uh, and nations. So the Lord added to the people of the church day by day those that were being saved. The apostles had been engaged in powerful teaching and healings. And also because of that teaching and that healing and the things they were doing, they had some opposition. The Jewish authorities of that time from the Sanhedrin, they did not like this new movement, this, this, this gospel of Jesus Christ that was being preached, and so many people were being added to that. And so they responded by having Peter and John uh, and bringing them before the council and punishing them in certain ways, and they told them that you should not proclaim Jesus Christ. And the way they responded they, they prayed for courage to proclaim the gospel in the face of this adversity. And then last week, Pastor Chad walked us through uh, uh, Acts chapter 5. And on the last part of that, Acts chapter 5, the last chapter, chapter forms the immediate context for which we're talking about today. It's telling us about the persecution of the Christians and how by these high priests and other leading authorities, how they arrested Peter and the other authorities. And, but an angel, if you remember when they had arrested him, an angel had come and the angel had miraculously had them released and the angel gave them a command, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the world, words of this life. And when the apostles appeared before the council of the high priest, they told him, didn't we strictly command you not to talk about this Jesus? And then Peter preached and responded by preaching a bang-up sermon that more people were added to that, 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 that body again, right? Every day in the temple and at home, the apostles never stopped teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. And that was 542, Acts 542. So we're going to pick up today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up right there, Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first seven verses, 1 through 7. We're just going to walk through and see what God is showing us. Now, one of the things about Scripture as we read, it, we don't need to just read it for the intellectual or, or the academic understanding of reading it. But we read it in context of what's happening, and then we have an opportunity to see how God can apply those scriptures to our lives so that we can live a life that God will want us to live. So I want you to look through that lens as we read through this, and we'll read first Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll take a look at what's going on. So now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, a complaint arose from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily service. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not appropriate for us to forsake the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, select from among you, brothers, seven men of good rapport, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who, may appoint, who you may appoint over this business, but we will continue steadily in prayer and in the ministry of the word. But we will continue steadfastly in the prayer and in the ministry of the word. So as we look at what's happening in our text, you remember a complaint, it says, rose against, uh, from the Hellenists against the Hebrews. So let's get a little context, a little understanding of who they are. See, these Hellenists were also Jewish Christians 
They just had been away and they had been raised in the Greek culture. And they would know the Greek culture and they were engrafted into that culture, but they were still Jewish Christians. And they had a complaint against the Hebrew Jews, the Hebrew Jewish Christians. These people would have spoke Aramaic, the, the, the common language there in that region. And so they had a little bit of difference. They were the same body of people, but had different cultural dispositions. And in this, the Hellenists went to the twelve and complaining that, hey, wait, our, our widows and our orphans are not getting their proper due in the daily distribution of goods for widows and orphans. See, because the widows and orphans in that particular time, in this era, they were well taken care of in the sense they understood that widows did not normally, women did not normally get a, a, a land, inherit land. And so they wouldn't, if their husbands passed, they wouldn't have any resources of their own uh, to call their own. So they had, even in the laws, had written it so that these widows and orphans would be taken care of. Right. Because at the end of the day, those widows and orphans, they a lot of times they got married when they were young. The young ladies would marry older men. So if not by age or by military exploits where the husband would go off to war and, and be killed or maybe even in just caring for the flocks that they did, that the husband would sometimes be overcome by the animals that uh, attacked their flocks. So many, many widows and orphans had were in that time. And so the church came together to make sure that these women and or these, these orphans and widows were taken care of. Even in the Torah, the law of that time, it made provisions for these widows to be taken care of. They were commanded all of the landowners, they said, hey, man, leave the edges of your field ungleaned so that these widows and orphans can at least come to the edges of your field and they can take some of those resources to simply survive. The prophets in the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and, and Malachi, they emphasize the importance of taking care of the widows and orphans, and they condemned ill treatment. And so you got to think about it. These Hellenist Jews are saying, hey, I know this is, we're, we're, we're back in an area where it's the Hebrews and the Aramaic language, but I know we're away, but we're still Jewish Christians, and our widows and orphans should be taken care of as well. And they had this complaint. And they went into the disciples, which now are the apostles. They went into the 12. We back to 12 again because if you remember Judas Iscariot, his way of a suicide, he had, to, he had to go his way. But then they reinstated, they brought in a new disciple, Matthias. And now, so this, when we hear the 12, that's who we're referring to. We're referring now to the apostles that had walked with Christ. And now they added Matthias. So the 12, they thought it was inappropriate for them uh, to leave or forsake the word of God in order to go serve at distribution tables. And they made that very clear. They were careful not to let the administration of the daily distribution hinder their primary calling, which is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there was no indication that, that these, these, these apostles thought it was a, a lack of service. They, they didn't think that, okay, man, well, I got to go serve tables. No, I'm not leaving preaching and teaching to God this glorified position to go serve tables. That's not what their thinking was. Remember, I talked about marking time. I talked about waiting on a particular order, marching in place. These apostles had heard their call. God had called them into prayer and to preaching the gospel. 
And they understood their call. They had now heard the, the command to now move and to advance. And they were moving forward in the assignment that God had given them to do. And they said in verse 4 again, but we will continuously, steadfastly, we will keep continuously steadfast in prayer and in the ministry of the word. See, these apostles knew their assignment and they refused to prioritize anything above it. These apostles, get again, I want you to make sure you get it in your notes. These apostles, they knew their assignment and they refused to prioritize anything above their call. And so we're looking at it, we got, we got the Hellenists coming and complaining. They're saying, hey man, we need y'all to come do this. The apostles then say, no, we got to do what we've been called to do. And this is what they give them a command to do and back, go back to verse 3. It says, therefore, select from among you, brothers, seven men of good rapport, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. See, the apostles stated three criteria for being used to select these seven men. Now, when you look at this, I want us to look at the, the three criteria, and we can consider this is what God would be calling anybody that was called in the service for him. If you're being called in the service for God, these three criteria should be functioning within you. So the first one says, the first, they were to be men of good rapport. See, their integrity would be of utmost importance to them because they would be handling, think about it, they got the, the daily disposition, distribution of all of this, uh, these, these resources, all of this money, the things that were being cared for for the orphans and widows. They would have had to be men of integrity because it's not, again, integrity is not what you do when people are watching, but integrity is what you do when people aren't watching. So if they're going to put somebody in a position that's going to handle these resources and, and, and prayerfully distribute those resources equally and fairly, they had to be men of good rapport. Second, they were to be full of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is what empower, empowers our ministry. The ministers, that the, the, the pastors and the preachers and the teachers and those that are in positions, even those of us that have accepted Christ, all of us have the Holy Spirit that lives in us, and it's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to do the things that God has commanded you to do. It was the Holy Spirit on the apostles that gave them the strength to look at these people that are complaining and saying, we can't stop doing what we're doing because God has given us a charge and we have to honor it. The Holy Spirit gives us guidance. It shows us the direction that we should go. These seven men would probably make serious mistakes over the course of time, but that's the fact that the Holy Spirit is there to realign, to convict. And conviction would lead to confession. Confession would lead to repentance. And these men would be able to function and narrow their, their information, narrow their efforts to look more and more like Jesus Christ. So they had to be first men of good rapport. Second, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. And third, they must be full of wisdom. See, wisdom is the kind of understanding that makes it possible for people to make good decisions in life and make good decisions, not only just make good decisions, but to avoid the, the, the detriments of bad decisions, to avoid the consequences of not following sound judgment or sound uh, gifts or sound wisdom. See, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. 
And so when we say that we have to have wisdom, they have to have a fear of God. These men that they were selecting had to have this reverential fear of the awesomeness of God. And, we're now, and again, fear is healthy when it's appropriated correctly. So we think about God, and in the Old Testament, if we read about the God of Old Testament, we got a little bit of taste of who he is. We talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? Remember we talked about what happened to them? They had made a bad decision, right? They didn't make a wise choice. They thought that they could hold back some portion of resources from land that they sold and, and thought they could actually fool the church and present themselves as something they were not. But remember, they could not fool. They could not hide from the Holy Spirit, and they died. They dropped dead instantly. And I know we talked about it in our small groups in our curriculum for a la- that, that week that we discussed that. Think about it. If you know, if you have this healthy fear of God, and that is the fear that leads to wisdom when you make decisions and choices, you don't know when God's patience is going to run out with you. <laughs> right? That's the part that scares me, yeah. that gives me this reverential fear about the awesomeness of God, because in an instant, I can just fall dead for a decision I made that was, that was not wise. Not to be afraid to walk around like the paper, the paper rolled up like you strike a dog, but to have this reverential fear of God. Think about this. God says to you, I want you to be uh, 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 afraid or fearful of me enough that you don't know when my long suffering or my patience is going to end, so you don't want to risk it. So these men would have to have all of these criteria. We need to carry all of this in our own hearts. We need to be people of good rapport, people that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And when this happens for us and we read on as they selected these men with these criteria, it says this in verse 5 through 6. These words pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of, of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they prayed, they laid their hands on them. And we'll stop there. So they went to these men. They called out these seven guys, and they listed their names of all these people. And then I, I, I kind of wondered to me, like, why did they happen to actually name the seven men? As, you, as I researched and looked at it, these seven, all of these names were Greek names. All of the names that listed were Greek descent. And so it's a standard reason. If you look at what happened, you had a group of people that had an issue or problem with something that was going on in the church. They went to the church leaders and gave their concerns and their complaints to the church leaders. And the church leaders said, go pick. He called all the disciples, all of the 12. Now, y'all go pick from amongst yourselves someone to do the business that you're talking about. Sometime when you come with a problem, the solution might very well be in you. And that's what we saw here. Hey, they, these disciples, these, these, these uh, Jewish converts, these followers, they were the ones that complained. And God said to them, you two, you all, I want you to proceed and execute the call now that I have on your life. I would like to think that they were marking time as they were going to talk to the apostles. They, weren't, they were going, I know it's something that needs to be done because our widows and our orphans aren't being taken care of. We need to go, we need to mark time and see what it is that we need to do. So we're going to seek wise counsel that was wait. We're going to go to those that have been given rule and leadership over us, and we're going to seek wise counsel. And But when they tell us 
what we're supposed to do. When they give us the command to move forward, we are now prepared as we mark time to move into the theater that they've called us into. And that's what we saw happen with these Hellenist Jews. See, Christians today, we need to take note of what we saw the early church do. The rival factions that pop up in churches, right, whether it be on a ministry team, whether it be on a staff, or whether it's for those that are coming in the building every day as partners or as members, we should take note of how these individuals actually handled this situation. See, they weren't committed to winning an argument or to defending their actions. They genuinely wanted to come and make the right decisions. See, your heart position, your heart posture as you come to someone with issues matters. And as we can tell by the way this unfolded, these individuals came with the right posture, the right heart, the right heart in order to see things done. Yeah. The highest calling to which God has given all of us is the call to love. Amen. It's this agape love that we see referenced in 1 Corinthians 13. See, the main idea of agape love is not giving are not getting, excuse me, is, is, is not getting, but giving. Yeah. These individuals, they went to, they didn't go to get something. They wound up saying, well, what can we do after they heard the command? Now we're ready to go put into action the things that we've done. See, where there's conflict in a church, our first order of business needs to be reminding each other of God's call to love each other. Yeah. Remember when, the, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, they ask it for one, but just as Jesus does, he gave them one and a bonus. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then he said, and the second is like or equal unto it, that ye love your neighbor as yourself. And so if I was a Hellenistic Jew and I was a Hebrewonic Jew and I understood that, that my brothers and sisters had a complaint, that they were not being met and were not being treated fairly, if I love them like God said, love my neighbor as myself, I would want to do something about it. I would want to have it resolved for my brothers. And that's what it says. They were pleased at what they had heard. So here's what we should do. We should look for ways to channel our complaints and our concerns into positive solutions. We should look for the ways to channel our complaints or our concerns into positive solutions. See, I, I understand that there's issues that happen in every, every faction of our lives. And the church is not excluded from having those things spar up. You know why? Because we're all human. We don't always hit the mark, but we press toward it. And as we do those things, we have to realize that if we have concerns, if we have issues, there are proper ways to address those things in a church body or even in a secular world. Remember, we don't all work and serve at a church. We go to our secular jobs, but we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So all of those criteria should function in us. People of good rapport, remember, we should be full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom as we go back into these places. And one of the things also the scripture shows is that all of us, we all have at least one gift from the Holy Spirit. Amen. We all are members, as, as Paul talks about it, we are members of one body. And all of us have gifts, talents, resources, and abilities to accomplish things for the kingdom of God. 
See, Paul uses this metaphor in 1 Corinthians. This is, this is what he says there. It's not going to be on the, on, the, on the screen. But it says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. God has set some in the assembly first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracle workers, then gifts of healing, helps, government, and various kinds of languages. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all miracle workers, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak various languages? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the best gifts? Moreover, I show a most excellent way to you. Your gift is valuable to the body of God. Your gift is valuable to the body of Christ. So when he says, whom, he goes on, so if, if you recognize that you have a gift and you just march with it in place, you just mark times with your gift, but you don't actually put your gift into action, are you advancing the kingdom of God? Yeah. Are, are you doing something that could, God can point and say, that's my servant whom I'm well pleased? See, this is the thing. If we take that gift that God has given us and we put it to action, the church wins. The church wins. Remember, if you look back, these same Hellenistic Jews were the ones, again, that went and did the thing. I guess, I'm sure, I would like to believe that when they were picking those seven men and they met those criteria, they said, you know what? You have a really good gift of hospitality. You serve people well. Man, you should be on one of these seven, and you have these three. Hey, I'm looking at you. You know what? You're really good with organizing books and tracking logistics. You should be part of this. Function in your giftedness. I would like to believe that these seven men that had these three criteria understood their call and then moved forward on the command of their leaders to accomplish the things that glorify the kingdom of God. And I know it did so in verse 6. It said, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. See, in this instance, the laying of hand indicates both approval and authority to accomplish the work that's being done. They gave them approval and empowerment for the task that was given. We have researched, we've looked at, we now extend the right hand of fellowship to you to now go do the thing that God has called you to do. The glory of God, the, the seven men that they collected had certain gifts that when used with the proper authority would satisfy the immediate need of a hurting church body. Because if you think about it, if they, if they would have kept going like they were going, just stayed in their camps and talked about how they weren't getting the things they wanted to do, and then these guys over here saying they're always complaining about something these, they, they, because they've been part of this Greek culture, and now they think they know more than we know. Right. Just think about the dissension that could have come into church if they did not come together looking to solve their own problems, looking to bring solutions instead of just problems. Amen. The word of God, and this is verse seven, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem exceedingly. A great company of priests were obedient to the faith. So when the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones of God begin to do the things that we do to function in our gifts and the talents and abilities and carry out our assignments. Great things happen for the kingdom of God. But here's the question. Oh, how are you marching? Are you marching? Are you just marking time? Are you just marking time? Are you just standing in place in the kingdom of God? And not advancing because the master has given you a definitive call. He's given you an assignment and now he wants you to execute it. Yeah. 
See, this is what I'm getting. Was, I told you, as we look at the scriptures and we see what it says and we look at it in context, now how do we apply it to our own lives? The question that I would have you ask yourself is this. What is my assignment? What is my assignment? And am I prepared to execute it? Am I prepared to carry it out? This is what we should be asking God on a daily basis. God, what is my assignment? I know that I I might see some things that don't look right. Maybe, Maybe that's him saying, mark time. Because you've heard in your brain, your, your, your conscience starts saying, well, this isn't, they don't have this or this, I wish we had this at church or why don't they do this? Maybe that's God's call for you to mark time and begin to listen. Say, okay, now you're marking time because I put it on your mind. Go look for someone that might be able to give you wise counsel, that might be able to help you understand what gifts, talents, abilities, or resources you have, and then be prepared to listen for the call to go forward and advance the kingdom of God. What is my assignment, and am I prepared to execute that assignment? See, maybe you come here on a, any given Sunday and the seats are crowded. You, I know if you're a creature of habit, you like to sit in the same area generally. Right. And if you get here a little bit late on a certain day and the building is full and you can't get to the front or to the back like you want, you feel some kind of way. And then maybe you stay home and maybe say, man, it's just been too crowded. I'm going to watch online. That's what some people do. But now let me show you this. What if marking time was what God was doing when he kept bringing that to your attention? You know, I don't really get to sit in the spot I want to get to sit. It's actually really crowded and it's full of people that I don't really know much that I haven't seen. So maybe God's bringing new people in and maybe my marching orders would be to go to 8 o'clock service. Wait a minute, God. You want me to go to 8 o'clock service? Yeah. Can you do what the command that God gives you to do? I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but I'm not. I'm telling you, don't discredit it. When when God puts something on your heart and in your consciousness, I'm telling you, it's like he's telling you, mark time. And when you mark time, it's a preemptive strike. He's telling you, I'm about to give you a command. Be listening for the command. Be listening for the move forward. Forward, march. That's what he's telling us to do. Maybe you've been here and you say, hey, it's been a long time. Every time I come, the parking lot is full. I look at those guys out there sweating like all outdoors and moving from one line to the next. I wonder if I could serve in that capacity to help relieve those guys, to help make this process more efficient. What is God calling you to do? What's your assignment? And are you prepared and willing to take the next step and follow through with your command? Some of you might be marking time right now. And the time that you're marking, maybe you're marching orders and seek out suggestions. Here, I'm going to say this. In in, in our small groups, we have curriculum. And and if you haven't been in small groups, you should get there. It's a great place to, to learn about God and to grow in our maturity, but it's not designed as a Bible study. It's not a Bible study. You're going to open the Word of God, and we're going to share a story or narrative from the Word of God, and we're going to entertain questions of how we can apply it to our life and how we can put action steps to it, but it's not the place that we're coming for, nor is it intended to, to do a deep dive Bible study. And if you're thinking that, it's not. And if you have been in it and you think that, that's the wrong idea about it. But maybe if that's the way you feel, it's not deep enough for me 
There's much more that I like to get out of a Bible study. Maybe God is marking time in your heart because you have a heart to study God's word. But now you can sit and complain that you're not getting it here. Or you can come with solutions. God, let me go talk to my church staff. Let me talk to the pastor. Maybe I can get some uh, information to guide us on what is a good study that I might want to be able to walk somebody through outside of my small group. Now I got a function. I have a gift to teach. And God has now given me a platform to do it. And I can find like-minded people that want to break down the word of God and go deeper so they can learn to apply it to life. It's just a wrong venue. See, maybe God is calling you to mark time with your gift of learning, a gift of study of Scripture, to exegete Scripture. Maybe that's your gift. Use it for the kingdom. Use it for the kingdom. And finally, this one is the most important marking of time. Maybe somebody in this room are listening online or hearing the Holy Spirit and I identify for you as the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I've, 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 I've not been living in life. I feel like I'm treading and quicksand. I, I'm sinking. I know my life is full of sin. And I, I hear people talking about the goodness of God. That's God saying, maybe you need to mark time. I've been preparing your heart. Every time I go to, to work, one of my Christian friends gives me a scripture. Maybe God is marking your time for you. Man, I said, God, I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but if you're out there, show me a sign. And you ride out and you look at a billboard and say, have you spoken to God today? Marking time. The dad does nothing for you if you don't advance your next step. Man, your next step is to say, God, I hear you. I submit myself to you. I'm tired of marking time. I'm tired of standing in place. I want to enter the battlefield with you. I accept your son Jesus as my Lord. I accept your your son Jesus as my Savior. Now, God, let me lock step with other members of your army and let us advance the kingdom of God. Yeah, you remember remember in Scripture when Jesus told Peter, he said, when Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, upon that statement of faith, that confession of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that mean? If I'm going to be battling in a war and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, that means I'm not going to just be standing still. That's just taking blows, but I'm not advancing the kingdom of God. I'm not going to regress and let it push me back, but I'm going to move what? Forward. The call is to move forward, and when you accept Jesus, lock arms with other believers, grow to spiritual maturity, and then answer the call. So if you're here today and that's you, I pray that you lean into the call. You step in and you move according to what God has called you to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I realize, we realize, God, that we would not be here had it not been for your grace and for your mercy. Of all the things, the gifts, talents, abilities, and resources you've given us, God, not one of them has given us the ability to open our eyes on our own. Not one of them has given us the ability to breathe air into our lungs and to get up with a reasonable portion of health and strength. God, the only way that that happened is because of your grace and your mercy, and we thank you. God, if you left us here, I pray, God, that we move from just marking time, that we enter into the battlefield that you've given us. 
I pray that we research, we understand the gifts, talent, resources, and abilities that we put them to practice. God, let us be people of good rapport. God, let us be people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. God, let us be people that accept wise counsel and let the fear of you, God, be the beginning of our wisdom. God, let us operate under your understanding. God, let us be solutions to problems, not just uh, 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 heralds of problems, God, but let us come looking for solutions. Let us join this army and collaboratively figure out what we can do to, to advance the kingdom against the evil one. God, again, if the person in this room are listening has prayed and asked you into their hearts, I pray, God, that they fill out a connection card here online. Let us know so that we can now bring them into the army, train them, equip them, and then send them out to do the work of the Lord. God, we trust you with all these things. God, we ask you to bless this congregation and all they do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.